So during the season of Lent, we are looking at the life of Jesus as presented in Matthew's gospel. Um, the best way for us to get to know Jesus, I think, is to read and study and reflect upon the gospels so that we can learn about Jesus, what he said, what he did, how he healed, uh, how he treated other people and the words that he spoke. And like any relationship in life, this relationship has to be nurtured. And Lent is a great time for you to do just that. We live in Music City, right? Uh, we like that. This is a music town. Um, th there are incredible artists all over Nashville. Some have made it really big. Uh, others are still trying. Uh, some can sell out stadiums. Uh, others will play in dive bars. But there is musical talent all over this town, and we're also fortunate to have it in the, in the life of this church. But music has a way of lifting our spirits and taking us to new heights and new places. Many country songs have a faith component. Uh, that's why I've been a lifelong country fan ever since I was a boy growing up in Memphis, Tennessee. I love country music. And if you listen to the lyrics, Many of them will articulate how we struggle and how God gets us through the hard times. And I think that's a good thing. That's a, good, a big part of country music. Now, there's a guy named Thomas Rhett, and he's made it pretty big, right? Uh, who wrote a song a number of years ago called Beer with Jesus. Do y'all remember this song? Uh, the lyric said this, if I could have a beer with Jesus, heaven knows I'd sip it nice and slow. I try to pick a place that ain't too crowded or gladly go wherever he wants to go. You'd bet I'd order up a couple tall ones and tell the waitress, put them on my tab. I'd be sure to let him do the talking, careful when I got the chance to ask. Tell me, how'd you turn the other cheek to save a sorry soul like me? Do you hear the prayers I send? What happens when life ends? And when do you think you're coming back again? I'd tell everyone, but no one would believe it if I could have a beer with Jesus. Pretty good song. I'd sing it for you, but I'm not gonna do that. Now, if you could have a, a beer or a coffee with Jesus today, what would you ask him? What would you want to talk to him about? What would you like to find out from him? What do you think he might say to you about your own life? What do you think he would tell you to work on to become a better person? What do you think Jesus would say about the political chaos and the global violence in our world? What do you think he'd say about Christians in general? Last Sunday, Jay kicked off our Lenten series with a great message but he was saying basically that in our lives, we have to lay certain things down in order to pick other things up to experience fullness of life. And one of the things that he said is that as human beings, we have this inclination to get in our own way. We, we do a lot of the things that we know we shouldn't do. We call this sin, we call this brokenness. But Jay said, we have to lay down fear in order to pick up love. We have to lay down offense in order to pick up grace and forgiveness. 
We have to lay down stress in order to pick up living with purpose. And we have to lay down cynicism in order to pick up hope. Meaning you can't carry those things if you want to have these things. You got to choose. I think that's true. Because so many times in life, we are holding on to things that are unhealthy and that keeps us from living the way that God wants us to live, the way that God calls us to live. We're holding on to things from the past that we need to let go of, and it's keeping us from being able to be fully in the present. We can become so upset about things that have happened in our lives or things that are happening in the world that we become cynical, negative, and we start to lose hope. But hope is a defining part of what it means to be a Christian. When we lose hope, we lose everything. A few weeks ago, we were finishing up the Sermon on the Mount series, and I asked you a question, and it's an important question. If you weren't here, I'll ask it to you again this morning. What is it that defines your life? And if you had to pick four core values that you try to live by or try to your, the best of your ability to live by, what would they be? And, and are you living by them on a regular basis? New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this in his book, Simply Jesus. He says, Jesus of Nazareth poses a question and a challenge 2,000 years after his lifetime. Who exactly was he? What did he think he was up to? What did he do and say? Why was he killed? And did he rise from the dead? The challenge is likewise fairly simple. Since he called people to follow him, and since people have been trying to do that ever since, what might following him entail? And how do we know if we're on the right track? How do we gauge that? What I wanna do this morning is I wanna look at Jesus's life his mind, his heart, and I want to ask this question. What are the values and priorities that defined his life and his ministry? And once we identify those, then we can say, how can we try to make his values, his priorities, our values and our priorities? Because that's what it means to be a Christian, right? Follow Jesus, become more like Jesus, take the things that he did and taught and, and, and enact them in our own lives. So that's what I wanna do this morning. When I read the gospels, and we're in the gospel of Matthew, there are certain core principles that jump out at me about the mind and heart of Jesus. The first one is this, Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Now, you might say, well, 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 that's easy. Jesus was fully God, fully human. Yes, but Jesus was always doing things to stay centered. He would go away to pray. He would spend time alone with God. Jesus knew that there is no way in the face of trials and tribulations and all the things that we face in life that if you don't carve out time to tend to your own soul, you're gonna have problems. So he did that, and he did that often. Jesus was a deeply spiritual person, fully human, fully divine, 
at the beginning of his ministry in Luke's gospel, do you remember after his baptism and his time in the wilderness, he gives a platform. He quotes Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. In other words, this is what I came to do. This is what my life and ministry is going to be about. So at the center of Jesus's life was a profound and constant relationship with God. And Jesus did not have to be in a certain place or a certain situation for his deep spirituality to be evident. It was always there because he tended to it. Yes, he faced human emotions like fear and, and anger, but he was grounded in spiritual practices like prayer and fasting and meditation and solitude. Jesus prayed constantly and he was not afraid to go away, to be by himself. You know, this is very different from the world in which we live of noise and interruptions and emails and dings and text messages and social media. Jesus knew the importance of silence, reflection, filling his own cup. He addressed God as Abba, Father, showing his intimate relationship with God. And he spoke and taught as one having authority which seemed to flow out of his deep spiritual conviction. Jesus was very comfortable in his own skin and he lived a life of, of humility and purpose. Marcus Borg says that Jesus demonstrated how God can be known in a direct and intimate way and not just believed in. God is not to be thought of as a remote and transcendent creator far removed from this world, but can be felt all around us as the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And just like Jesus, we too can feel that presence of God at any given time if we are open to it. But sometimes we're so busy, we're so distracted that we miss it. We miss out on a lot because we're not present in the moment. Secondly, as we look at the values of Jesus's life, Jesus was humble. He embodied humility. Look at our text today. We find the mother of James and John asking a favor of Jesus. She says, declare that these two sons of mine, James and John, will sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. In other words, give my boys positions of prestige and power. But Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. That's not how this works. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Of course we can, they said, but they didn't get it. The kingdom of God is not about power. It's not about position. It's about love, service, and compassion. It's about others. You know, the disciples got frustrated with this request. Why should they get to hold the positions of power? We're here with you too. And then Jesus says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and the great ones are tyrants over them. It's not going to be so among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. The son of man came not to serve, 
Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how he responds. The way to be great in God's kingdom is to go and serve others. To humble yourself and to not ask others to do things that you're not willing to do. In our culture, that's all about self. We want others to serve us. If you can pay somebody to do it, that's great. Less on your plate, right? But Jesus says, you wanna be great? Humble yourself and go serve others. Then you'll be great. It's a very different approach to leadership and to life. C.S. Lewis gave the best definition of humility. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Because we live in a world where many, many people think about their self only and all the time. The third value that defines Jesus's life was that he was basically unimpressed with material things. Not us. <laughs> we like nice things, right? It, it lets us know we've arrived, we've made it. We're important, successful, affluent. But sometimes wouldn't you say we become way too concerned about our stuff? what we have, what others have. Remember the story of the rich man in Matthew 19? A rich guy comes up to Jesus and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother, the 10 commandments, right? You got it, you've been doing it. Yes, he said, I've been doing all these things since my youth. What, what, what do I lack? But Jesus somehow knew that this guy didn't get it. You ever been with people that just don't get it? You're trying to get them to get something, they just don't get it. So he says, hey buddy, go and sell everything you own and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But the man wasn't up for it, right? He went away sad because he had many possessions. What do you mean, Jesus, sell everything you own? Give the money to the poor? I worked hard for that. Took me a long time to get here. I saved, I invested. How can you ask me to do that? See, it's clear to me that there's something that's missing in this text in Matthew. It became very clear to Jesus that although this guy had kept the commandments since his youth, he still defined himself by his wealth, not his faith, not his character, but by the stuff he owned, the money he had. So Jesus said the only way this guy is going to get it is if he gets rid of all this stuff. Because as long as he has all of his stuff, he will simply be known as the rich man. He doesn't even have a name, you notice that? The rich man, the rich young ruler. And the truth is sometimes our money and our stuff takes over our lives and that's all we think about. That's all we stress about. Sometimes we become so obsessed with growing our bank account that we forget to be generous along the way. And it can happen much quicker than you think. Possessions can become possessive and it can take over our lives to where it's all we think about. 
How can I be more successful? How can I buy more stuff? How can I keep up with everybody else? How, how, how can I, how can I, how can I, why can't I, why can't I? But if we don't have faith and we don't have family and we don't have authentic friends, then we will be all alone with our stuff and miserable. So Jesus said, your life does not consist of in the abundance of possessions. Would he tell everybody to sell all their stuff and give it to the poor? I don't think so. But he told this guy because he didn't get it. Lastly, the fourth value that I'll share with you that is very clear in Jesus's life is that he was a healer. He knew that life was hard, that people struggle, that we all need healing, we all need hope. The end of Matthew 20, he's leaving Jericho. He heals two blind men. They shouted at him, Lord, have mercy on us. The crowd told him, be quiet, leave him alone. He's in a hurry. But Jesus stopped like he usually did. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? They say, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And he was moved with compassion. He touched their eyes and suddenly they could see. You know, I encourage you to look through the gospels or look through Matthew's gospel and look at all the different times that Jesus heals. He was never too busy to heal. And we all need healing because we all go through stuff. Heartache, pain, suffering, illness, loss. Life beats all of us up and we need healing. And one of the reasons that we've rebranded and we're relaunching the Center for Hope and Healing at Woodmont at the old parsonage here is because people need healing. There's so much brokenness in the world, it's everywhere. Sometimes it feels like the human condition is a cruel joke. And when you're in the ministry, you get to see a lot of it. People need support, they need encouragement. They need to know that they're not alone. The church is there for them. You know, just over a month from now, it'll be the one year anniversary of what happened to Covenant. Wednesday, March 27th, Holy Week, leading up to Easter this year. And so we're gonna have a special service here in the sanctuary that'll be full of music, full of hope, to remember the people that we lost, including one nine-year-old little girl in this church, but also to remember that when things like this happen in life, the healing must be ongoing. It's not just a one-time thing. We pick each other up, we carry each other forward. But remember something else. Most of the time when Jesus heals in the gospels, people wanted and chose to be made well. Meaning they have to want to get better. So whatever it is we go through in life, we must choose to be healed and to not let it define us forever. And I know that's easier said than done sometimes. And one of the keys to healing in life is learning to forgive and let go, not continuing to hold on to things forever. We can't survive without forgiveness. And Jesus talked about it all the time. We can't get along 
without forgiveness. We, we can't have a healthy marriage without forgiveness. We can't raise kids without forgiveness. We, we can't truly move forward from certain situations in life without forgiveness. It's absolutely necessary. And yet, so many Christians talk about it, but they don't do it. So many Christians pray it in the Lord's Prayer, but they don't do it. We have to do it. I don't know what you've been through recently in the past half year, but I know there's something because we all need healing. So we have to help each other heal. I'll close this morning with um, one of my favorite prayers. It's the prayer of St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi who once said this, and if you're looking for a way to enhance your prayer life, you got the Lord's Prayer, you've also got this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.